Amen. If you're ready for some spiritual warfare, can I get a what? One. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, today we're talking about spiritual warfare. As we get ready to do so, I just wanted to thank uh, Pastor Lauren for doing what she did. My wife now is in her last 30 days of pregnancy, so she will not be doing our transitions anymore. And my family, like all families, has picked a service to go to, so they'll be doing second today. And this has been such a blessing of us doing the changes with our children, is that no one has to do two services anymore. How many are excited about that? That was just a lanyard. That was extra. It was never a children's worker issue that we went to bring children into the church, but that became a benefit. Now everyone can go to one service. I love that. I uh, also want to thank you for last week having the chance to be able to talk to you about the slave uh, trade and the different things of slavery throughout history. I like that I have a church that I can come to and speak the word and not have to be embarrassed or shy over it. How many of you learned something last week as we talked about slavery? Really opened up your eyes and then we applied it to your jobs. If you missed it, it was really kind controversial but really awesome, so go check it out online. Today we're going to talk about the full armor of God. Everybody go, ooh. Now let me just tell you this, we're getting right towards the end. I only think we have about two or three more messages in the book of Ephesians. Are you excited about that? That means you have completed an entire book by the time uh, we get done with this. You will have done a whole entire book verse by verse. Uh, some of the things I'm thinking about for the grand finale is to actually read the entire book of Ephesians to you in service. I think I can read really fast and it would be cool. So hope, hopefully, hopefully I will give a chance, uh, God will give me a chance to do that. If not, we're going to end it with a bang no matter what. Trust me, the last message is going to be powerful. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Let's read these first two verses together. One, two, three. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So look at what Paul says, that first word there is finally. Somebody go, finally. See, Paul knows he's at the end of the letter. It's been a long book. Now, most of us can read this book in about a half hour. Those who listen to the Bible by audio takes about 20 minutes. Reading takes a little bit longer because you're taking it in. Remember, the book of Ephesians was written to people who lived in the city of Ephesus, and it was probably read to them every week as they got together for church. This was the only Bible they probably had. Think about it. You're living 2,000 years ago. You don't have all the books of the Bible, yet they haven't been written. You just became a Christian in this city. You're not going to have the book to the Philippines, uh, the, um, the uh, Philippi book, Philippians. You're going to have Ephesians. Now, as you read through it, you're going to know that Paul is building his points up. He's starting in chapter 1, and let me just put it up here for you so you guys can see it. He starts in chapter 1, and he begins to break down the different things he wants you to know. Some may say, finally. I'm taking my time out because I want you to know why he says the word finally there. So give me just a second here. Look up at this outline. Here's a brief outline of the book of Ephesians. He starts off in chapter 1 giving you the greetings. Then in chapter 2, he gave us the spiritual blessings. Then around, uh, excuse me, chapter 1 is all of these things. Opening, greeting, spiritual blessings, and he prays. Then chapter 2, then he teaches us about being made alive in Christ by grace. How many are saved today by grace? Amen. And then he talks about a new humanity, Jew and Gentile. Then he brings about another prayer. That's his second prayer. Then he gives us the creed in chapter four. How many remember the Disciples' Creed? Some of you do. Okay. And then he talks about the gifts of the ministry. Now look, 
Then he moves on to what we call the earthly good. All of that stuff there was heavenly minded. It's like the stuff we should really know and believe. But then how are we going to live it out? Then he starts to transition and teach us how to live as a Christian. That's instructions for Christian living. Then he teaches us how to have a family. And look at the second to the last thing he talks to us about is spiritual warfare. Everybody go finally. Thank you. The reason why that's so important to see is because everything we're going to learn about spiritual warfare is built upon what you know right now. Now, I know some of you weren't here, but don't let that intimidate you, okay? Because you've got to go back and study and read the book of Ephesians, and you'll get it. So think about it like this. If I'm going to go to battle, don't I have to have things that are already in place? First of all, i got to be mature enough to go to battle, right? First of all, I got to have a maturity. I don't send a child to the battle. So when he says, finally, what is he assuming about you at this point? You're a mature Christian. Oh, y'all didn't get that. See, he's already assuming you got the points before. See, some of you lose spiritual battles because you're spiritually immature. You can do bad all by yourself. You don't even need the devil's help. Everybody get this. Y'all don't, those who are spiritually immature, I'm talking to you. Don't take this the wrong way. I'm doing this because I love you. Those who are spiritually immature, you are losing and the devil's not even fighting you yet. You wake up and cuss because there's a flat tire and the devil didn't give you a flat tire. You just were irresponsible to fill it. And so now you cussing. Now you're losing your, your way of speaking, and it's because you're immature. The devil, even, the devil didn't send a demon to your car last night, and to do that, some people, these, all these chairs should be filled right now, but some people stayed up too late, partying on Saturday night, didn't come to church, and they go, oh, man, the devil was messing with me. The devil wasn't messing with you. You did bad all by yourself. Some of you should just hashtag, I'm my worst enemy. Some of you should just put that on Facebook. I'm my worst enemy, but Jesus died to save me from myself. See, when it says finally, finally, it's assuming you got all the other stuff before. It's like you understand, number one, you got to be mature. Number two, if you're going to go to battle, what? You got to know who your enemy is. You got to know the devil, that the devil is real. Once again, some of you give the devil way too much credit because you don't know what the devil's actually doing. You think the devil's flattening your tires. You think the devil's messing with your coworker. That may be very well. But listen, if your coworker gets on your nerves, you need more patience, not another coworker. The Bible already told us to be long-suffering in the chapter. Y'all looking at me like you haven't read it yet. Let me go back to some of the stuff we've read. Somebody say preach it. Amen. I'm just going to go back to where it talks about Christian living. Somebody say maturity. You see it right there, maturity in the body of Christ. You've got to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. How are you going to go to battle unless you are mature and know who you are? Right? Come on. And then know who your enemy is. Some of the things that we learned about talking about this. Come on, look at this. The Bible says you have put off your old self. You've put on your new self. Somebody say a new self. You see, if you haven't recognized that Christ in you is victory, then you don't know who the enemy is. Because right now, if you don't have Christ in you as a new person, like if God has not made you a new person, the devil's not sending you to hell. You're sending yourself to hell. Do you all get that? So if you go to hell, are you going to be like, man, it was all the devil's fault? No, if you go to hell, it was because you didn't get saved. You didn't take off the old and put on the new. So some of y'all aren't even in a battle right now. 
You're not mature enough for it. You're a baby. The devil's just leaving you alone. Everybody think about this. Right now, right now, do you think my one-year-old is concerned about ISIS? You know, terrorism and all that? No, she's a baby. She's not even thinking about it. The reason why people can be at the lake right now, living their life, doing whatever, they're, they're not even thinking about the battle. And the worst thing about it is they're already the devil's property. They've already personally chosen, not that he's forced them, they've personally chosen to be in his camp so he ain't got nothing to fight. Are you getting it? And if they have a bad life, it's because the blessings of God are not upon them. They're going to realize things are missing. That's why unsaved people have problems too, but they're outside of the blessing of God. They don't have the peace of mind. I'm not saying Christians don't have problems, but when we have problems, we got a problem solver, Jesus. Let's just look through some of this. Let's look at your neighbor and say, review is made for you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, review is made for you. See, look at what it says. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit from whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Can the devil make you bitter? I'm asking you a question. Uh, right now, I need to answer, okay? So you got to tell me yes or no so I can know to move on. Can the devil make you bitter? No, he can't. Those who are saying yes, I'm glad you're being honest right now. You've been bamboozled. The devil can't make you do anything. Tell me one thing the devil can make you do. Everybody raise up your hand right now. Just pick one hand and raise it up. Okay? Now double dog the devil to take it down. Devil, I dare you to move my hand right now. Come on, Jack. Y'all don't want to talk to the devil. You're scared. The devil ain't going to move your hand. Now, now we could be mocking towards Jesus. I won't mock Jesus. But you could say, Jesus, I double dog dare you to put my hand down. Come on. How many people mock Jesus? How many people you know mock Jesus like that? I'm not going to assume you're here. But, you know, if, if you're real, God, then lift me up up in the air. Make me fly or strike me with lightning. Come on. Keep your hands up. How many know God nor the devil make you do stuff? So can the devil make you bitter? Okay. Can God make you by force better? To for, can God make your mouth say, I forgive? No. Put your hand down when you want. See, you choose. See, finally, somebody say finally. Y'all ain't even ready today, I guess, for the finally, so I'm going to keep preaching. Before you can even start spiritual battle, you've got to know these principles. You're not fighting the devil when it comes to bitterness. You're fighting yourself. You're not fighting the devil when it comes to rage. You're fighting yourself. Now, can we be tempted? Does the devil tempt us? Absolutely. He can but he can't force you to do one thing. Now, what's the, opposite of God, uh, what's the opposite of the devil tempting us? Is the Holy Spirit leading us. Does either one of those imply a forced decision on your behalf? Temptation and leading. Do either one of those imply a forced decision? Okay, so the devil goes, Psst, you know what that person did to you? I want you to be angry and don't forgive him. Now, does that mean you have to now be angry and don't forgive him, become bitter? Nope. Now watch over here. Jesus is like, hey, you remember how I died on the cross for your sins? Guess what I want you to do right now for that person who sinned against you? I want you to forgive them like I forgave you. Now is that going to make you forgive? No. It's your choice. Now don't go around thinking that we have a good 
side about us and a bad side, like it's yin and yang. No, the Bible says that you're either evil or you're good, but even evil people can be led by the Holy Spirit to do something good, and even evil, uh, uh, good people can be tempted by the devil, but you're not both at the same time. Understand that I am 100% a Christian on the good side of Jesus, but I can still hear temptation. Does everybody get that? Jesus was 100% God in the flesh, but he was still tempted, right? So he wasn't like half good and half bad, and then people of the world right now going to hell, they can still hear God calling out their name, doing good things, but they're still bad. So don't think you're both good and bad. You're one or the other, the Bible says, and then you can hear both sides. Think of it like this. Your spirit's a radio station, and it's up to you who you're going to dial into. There are some Christians, everybody look up at me here, there are some Christians that are dialed into the devil's station. You actually are born again. You really know Jesus, but you just keep listening every single day to his temptation. And then there are negative, uh, then there are, are sinful people who are listening to God, but they haven't made that choice yet. And they're starting to do better things in life. But remember, you're not saved by good works. You're saved by submitting to Christ. So it's not based upon your behavior. Are you listening? Come on, can I hear an amen? So finally, be strong in who? In yourself, because you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself, girl. Come on. You got to believe in yourself, dude. No, finally be strong in the, in the Lord and in his mighty power. You see, that, that's assuming you know who the Lord is. The Lord is Jesus, his mighty power. And that's the next thing. Put on the what armor? Full armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Everybody look up at me. This is still the intro to the intro. I got so many scriptures. Watch. When the day of evil comes, you are to take your stand. So what am I standing on? I'm standing on victory. I'm standing on God's word. I'm not fighting to go get the victory. The Bible says I've already been given it. The moment you were made a Christian, you were given the victory. In Christianity, you start, you start at the podium getting the gold medal. Are you listening? In Christianity, you start at the finish line. In Christianity, you start with the victory shout. That's why the Bible says you're more than a conqueror because he already conquered for you, did more than you could do for yourself, and he gave it to you on the behalf of the Father. So what am I doing? In battle, every single time, in battle, I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory to stand and stay in victory. See the difference? So the moment the devil comes at me telling me, you better fight to win something, I'm already going to stop right there and say, hold on, devil, I don't got to defeat you to get one extra thing. Everything I've already needed has been given to me by God. Oh, y'all, did, I didn't even get an amen. Here, let me just help everybody. This is church. And in church, this preacher needs three things from you, an amen if it's good, when a question comes, a yes or a no. Can you all help me with that? Okay, so now I'm going to help you because I didn't hear a lot of you respond. I already said God gave you everything you needed. And some of you right now are just not believing that, so let me stop because we always have new people come, and that's part of the beauty of Christianity is that the church will have people who have been around for years, and then you may have people who have just started coming. So let me catch everybody up until I get enough amens to where everybody knows where we're at because these are scriptures we've gone through. Look at Second Peter right here. Look at Second Peter. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1. If you can see it, somebody say, I can see it. Look at what it says. His divine power has given us some things we need. 
what does it say? Has given us everything we need for a godly life through our good works, through us going to church all the time, through us fighting every battle because we got to knock out the devil. No, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The moment you became a Christian, you were given everything you need for a godly life. All other religions teach you the exact opposite. Scientology, you need more, pay more, do more. Islam, you need more, do more, pray more. And every other religion, it's you want more, you got to do more. You want more, you got to do more. You want more in Hinduism, you want better karma, you better do more. In Christianity, you got all you could ever have day one in Christ. So go back to that. Because of Christ and his mighty power, I have everything that I need. So now, now, somebody say now, I'm going to be strong in the Lord. Now, I'm going to be strong in his mighty power. Now, I'm going to put on my full armor. For what purpose? To stand my ground. So the entire understanding of this battle is I'm not fighting for my family. I'm fighting because God gave me a family. I'm not fighting for a sound mind. I'm fighting to keep the sound mind. I'm not fighting for the promises of God to come into my life like I have to beg him to do something. Prayer's not begging God to do something. No, I'm praying because I know he already did something. I'm speaking it. I'm saying it. That's why David didn't say in Psalm 23, Lord, would you please, 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 pretty please be my shepherd. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He started off declaring who he was and who his God was. And that's the spiritual battle right there. So just put on the brakes. That's your battle. You're battling against the devil and casting out demons. We've done that many times in this church. That's not even really a battle. That's just casting out demons. That's what it's called is casting out demons. The battle that you will face as a Christian, whether it be from the temptation of the devil, from your flesh, from the thoughts that scare you or tempt you, or from your neighbors and people, whatever you face in life, it's always going to be from this point of view. Will you believe God is who he said he is and you are who he said you are? Will you stand your ground? And then in verse 12, he reminds us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what are the demons and all of these different powers and authorities doing? They're coming against your confession of faith. They're coming against what you say you believe and know up here in your mind and in your heart. That's why the Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're trying to defeat you based on the word. If you don't believe me, go back to Jesus' temptation. What did the devil tempt Jesus with? What did he tempt him with in the, in, in the garden? Everything was about the word of God. He said to him, hey, man. You're hungry because he was on a 40-day fast. Why don't you turn the bread into stone? He's basically saying you're supposed to be like better than Moses. Moses could make manna come from the ground. You know, God used Moses to bring water from a rock. Why don't you show off these powers because you're supposed to be so great? And then he says, no, no, no. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. So every misunderstanding the devil had, Jesus clarified about the word, but it was oh, the battlefield was always the word. 
That's why when you go back to the beginning, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, what did Satan's question say? He said, did God say? He's questioning the word of God to Adam and Eve, and then he twists it. He's twisting it because he knows if he can get them out of the word of God, out from the protection of God's word, then he can take them out. It's an easy battle then. If, if you are in a car and you get into a car accident, do you have a better chance of surviving? If you're riding a bike and somebody hits you with a semi, come on, you probably ain't going to survive. If the devil can get you out of the protection of the word, you're easy prey for him. He doesn't have to spend hours and hours defeating your mind. If you don't know what to put in your mind, all he has to do is put in one depressive thought and you'll believe it. All he has to do is tell you one time, well, my job sucks and life sucks and you know what, I, I'm, not, I'm not important. And if you don't have God's word, what are you going to repeat back to yourself? Well, life sucks, I'm not important, all this and that. Because you don't even speak the word back to him. So you have nothing to stand on. So when the devil comes to those kinds of people, he defeats them. So it's not like the devil and Jesus are arm wrestling and like spiritual warfare is, is like Star Wars, you know. No, spiritual warfare generally, generally is one side or the other just dominating the other opponent. If you don't have your stuff together, the devil just comes and dominates you. But when you have the word of God, you dominate the devil every day. And we'll learn about how to do that by the sword of the Spirit. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and have, and after you've done everything, to stand. Somebody say, stand. Do you get the point of how many times it says stand? Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And remember that, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God is the only offensive weapon we have. All of it, the rest of it's defensive. And then verse 18 says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. How many occasions? All occasions. Thank you. With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So I'll just give you this illustration. Then I want to go through some of the scriptures again. But what Paul is referencing is a Roman soldier. And he's saying, dress up like a Roman soldier to go to battle, but see these things spiritually. The first thing that he mentions is the belt of truth. You need to hold up your pants with the truth. What does that represent? The truth of God. If you don't have the truth of God, if you're not standing on the truth of God, you'll fall for anything. Have you heard that statement before? If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But that is never more true than when it comes to the word of God. If you don't stand, hold up your pants upright with the word of God, you will fall. Your pants will fall for anything. So spiritual warfare is not me taking on the devil by myself. It's me taking on the devil knowing that I'm protected by the word, standing on his word. What's the next thing that it talks about? The breastplate of righteousness. What does the breastplate protect? Your breast. What's behind your breast, the chest bone, and all, I mean the, the rib cage? Your heart, your most vital organ. So what protects that spiritually is righteousness righteousness protects your heart. Do I need to have 10 hours of prayer every single week to, to not look at pornography? No, what I need is righteousness in my heart and I'll never be tempted with it or I should say I'll never give into it. 
So you can try to do religious things, but religious things don't result in spiritual victories. Just because people go and pray every day doesn't mean anything. This is real battle, real warfare, and the tools that we have have to be applied correctly. So how do I guard my heart? By knowing I'm righteous in Christ. The Bible says I'm the righteousness of God. By faith, I receive it, and now I'm obedient to it. So can the devil ever get through to my heart? So those of you who say, well, the devil's gotten in my heart. I got all this junk in my heart. Whose fault is that? It's yours. Now, once again, if you feel like you're being attacked in your thought life or your heart or your emotions, that's not your fault. Jesus didn't do anything wrong to be tempted. Temptation even happens to good people, but you have to guard your heart. The next thing that the Bible talks about is the shoes, the gospel shoes. And what do the shoes do? The shoes give us the protection upon our feet, and they enable us to go distances. Even in today's military, they have to do all of these hikes and all of these long journeys in those boots. It protects them. So why do we need spiritual shoes? Because the Bible says you need to be given the steps to walk in and to have your, gui- have your path guided and protected. Well, what is supposed to guide and protect your life? Somebody say the gospel of peace. So let's just stop right here and ask ourselves. If I show up to the strip club, am I going to have the gospel of peace work in my life? No, because I've put my feet in a place where my body should not be. But if I'm guided, everybody get this, if I'm guided by the gospel, will I be protected by, from all evil, from all temptation? Yes. Come on, I need a better yes or no on this. I need to know if you understand this. When I first got saved, you know what, the, you know what God taught me about quitting smoking? This is what God taught me. It's very similar to the gospel of peace here. God said this to me. If you don't touch another cigarette, I'll take out the addiction. See, what I had to do was put myself in the position to trust God. I had to willingly say, I'll do what you've commanded me to do. I'll do what you say so that you can do what you do. So those of you who are saying, I've got bad relationships, I've got a job that I don't like, or I have family members that I don't like, the question is, why are you putting yourself in that position every single day? The gospel of peace should guide where you go. And if you go to your job and you don't have control over this person, you're there with peace because of the gospel. They can't take your peace no more than they can take your wallet. It's the gospel of peace. Everybody look up at me. Get this. That's why, and I'm watching Tisa and Jean, missionaries we support in South Africa with their their, uh, orphanage right now. That's why they're happier with like, how many kids they have? Four kids? Three kids living in a two-bedroom apartment in Africa? They're more happier than you are with all the stuff you got. Why? Because the gospel of peace guides them in life. And you keep adding more stuff and more stuff, but you don't have peace. Why? Because you don't have the gospel of peace. Your feet are to be let alone by the gospel of peace. Then the next thing that it says is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation guards your mind. Now, heart and mind are very similar. Heart and mind are probably only differentiated in this as the heart is supposed to probably mean your emotional thoughts and your mind more of your intelligent thoughts or more of your reasoning thoughts. But they're both very similar and they're both protected by the same kind of thing. Salvation and righteousness go hand in hand. So when it says put on the helmet of salvation, you're guarding your mind. 
You're guarding your mind. What's the difference? Everybody get this. What's the difference between you and the person who's going skydiving today? Is in their mind, they know they're all right. What's the difference? Or I should say the one who's scared to go skydiving. See, in their mind, they know they're all right. What's the difference between you and the person dealing with depression right now? If you're not dealing with depression, you're speaking life over yourself, and the person that has depression is speaking death. It's all in the mind. I'm not saying that the mind is over the power of the Spirit. I'm saying the Spirit renews the mind. The Spirit works within the mind. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know what that Greek word for word is? Logos. It's logic. God is not just a God of fairy tales and make-believe. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that our God is the basis of all that is true. So what is to guard your rational mind? What's supposed to guard your rational mind? Salvation. Knowing Jesus. You see, if you know the truth about the parachute, even though you have sensations of fear, you can still jump out. If you know the truth of salvation, even though you have sensations of depression or a bad day or hormones are off, I know like my wife, she deals with thyroid, even though your body is physically off, your mind will be protected from following sensations and feelings. Instead of waking up in the morning asking yourself how you feel, wake up in the morning and tell yourself how to feel according to the word of God. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Don't, ask, don't wake up in the morning and be like, is today going to be a good day? Am I going to have joy today? No, wake up in the morning and say, I will be full of joy today because the Lord is my strength. That's how I'm going to start today. I'm not going to ask myself. I'm going to tell myself. And then we see the last offensive weapon is the shield. Now notice what the shield does. The shield protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy. And what is the shield of? The shield of, come on, shield of faith. So where does literally the arrow meet the armor in a Christian's life? By their faith. So every day of my life, I will feel like my faith is being attacked. I will feel like it's trying to get through to the parts of my mind and my heart and my body, my organs and my feet. But if I keep my faith, if I keep believing what I have already believed, then I will be able to stand my ground. So do you feel like the world is attacking your faith today? Do you feel like the media is attacking your faith today? Do you feel like your thoughts that come to deceive you, attack the core of who you are, your faith? Yes, because the Bible says without faith is sin. Everything without faith is sin. So once that armor, uh, once that shield goes down, the armor can be penetrated over time. So what, why do we encourage people to come to church? Well, the Bible commands it, but why does he command us to come to church? Because you build your faith. You're building your shield. So those who are going through life, everybody get this, with victory are not necessarily those who are not going with, through battles. They're just the ones who are going through it with faith. See, some of what you have gone through, people in this church have gone through ten times worse, and they're better off than you because they went through it with faith. Some of you want to lose your salvation and quit coming to church over a flat tire, as we are talking before, or a hangnail, and we've got people that went through cancer treatment. They're still serving Jesus. See, what's the difference? The battle is not what's the difference. The difference is actually the faith. So if you don't have the faith, the battle could be super small. 
I mean, you could have a small bullet pierce you through your heart if you don't have any armor, right? But if you have your armor up, you can have a Kevlar vest on or something, you could take many, many rounds. Why are today Christians like us victorious? Why is it like I can say I've been victorious over 20 years and others in this church so forth and so on? Is it because we haven't gone through battles? No, it's because we've gone through them with faith. Now, you may say, Pastor, have you ever been defeated? Have you ever lost a battle? I did. Whose fault was it? Mine. Why did you lose it, Joe? Because I let down my faith. I took off the armor. I let down the shield. And then lastly, the offensive weapon is the word of God. So now how do I give it back to the devil? You see, when I receive a thought that I know is a temptation, how do I not only get protected, but also tear it down and now destroy it? Because the Bible says Christians are not just on the defensive. We're also on the offensive. See, you got to know the difference. Some of you are always running from the devil. Oh, oh devil, stop messing with me. I'm going to go to church. You stop messing with me. Stop messing with me. I'm like, where are you at, devil? Come and get some. What's the difference? What's the difference is some of y'all just so scared all the time because you don't have a shield of faith. You've taken off the armor. You're getting whooped all the time, and you don't have a sword. You left that thing long time ago, and you're wondering why life is the way it is. That's why it is. You can't do something against God's commands and expect to get his blessings. God's blessings come in line with his commands. So those of us who are keeping God's commands, what should we have? An aggressive attitude towards the enemy. The Bible says the, the kingdom of God suffers violence. Violence is done against us. Spiritually speaking, the devil's always trying to come against us, use people in these things. But then what do we do against that? The, the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. We assault the kingdom of God. We tear down the lies. Can I hear an amen? Now, can you see how somebody can get this twisted and start a crusade? Yeah, people have tried to do this in the past, literally armed themselves and started fighting. But that's not what we're supposed to do. He told us in the passage it's a spiritual battle. Somebody say spiritual. Now look at your neighbor and say that was just the introduction. Amen. You guys ready for some scriptures? Okay, let's go to the belt of truth. Somebody say the truth will set you free. Amen. Thank you. Look at the truth. Look what Jesus taught us about truth. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, how many of you all believe in Jesus? Amen. So here, here we are. We're believing in Jesus. What are we now to do? It says, if you hold to my what? If you hold to my teaching, then you are my disciples, really my disciples. Then you will what? Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it's your choice now to hold on to truth. I didn't put on a belt today, and I don't want to be too personal. But my pants are kind of falling down, and I'm literally living out the belt of truth right now. I'm living this illustration in front of you guys, and I'm embarrassed. I really am. I'm not trying to make it about me, but just understand this. If I had my pants hanging down, I would be at a disadvantage. Have you ever seen dudes in the hood fight? What's the first thing they do? They pick up their pants. They're already at a disadvantage. Come on, let's be honest. They're already at it. The moment you see a dude pick up his pants, he's already taking one. He's already at a disadvantage. The idea is we come ready. I come ready to the job. I come ready to the family reunion. I come ready. I come with my belt on. My pants are on. I come ready to get down with it. 
People are not my enemy. So if they speak nonsense to me, I'm not going to get upset and fight them physically, but I'm ready to answer back every lie with truth. Somebody say the truth. Thank you. The next thing, the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. How many know 2 Corinthians 5.17? Come on, say it together. One, two, three. Therefore, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Thank you. Now look at verse 21 in that same passage. What does Paul go on to say here, talking to the people of Corinth? Look at what he says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. So my breastplate of righteousness is in him. You ever seen one of those cartoons where the little dog is about ready to get beat up, and then all of a sudden the person, the, the bigger dog that was about ready to beat him up, comes over and starts saying, no, no, man, I'm good. I'm good with you. Let's, let's call it quits. Let's call it quits. And then that little dog gets a little cocky. You know what I'm talking about? And then the little dog's like, man, that's what I thought. I knew you didn't want any of this. I was going to beat you up. I was going to beat you up. And then the big, you know, that bigger dog walks away. What happens? That little dog turns around, and what does he see? That huge dog, his, his bigger brother or that friend. See, that's how we are in Christ. We're standing up against the devil, not because he's weak. He's a powerful angel. But we're standing up against all of these demons, all of these things, because we are literally in Christ. He is our shield. He is the these Iron Man suit, young guys. Come on, dude. He's the Batman suit because you know Ben Affleck don't have no muscles. Come on. He is that suit of armor, the righteousness of God, and it's given to us because he died on the cross. The next thing that we see is the gospel of peace. Go to Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How many love the gospel? Amen. You know what the gospel stands for? It's Jesus' death, burial, and uh, death, burial, and resurrection. Look at what it says in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Look at what it says. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you know that everywhere we go, we are bringing the good news of Jesus? And the gospel should guide our lives. We should literally go through the world cross-eyed. Like, I'm not going to try to do it right now, be cross-eyed, because my eyes might get stuck, like my parents told me. That's probably not true, but, you know, we should go through the world cross-eyed. I see my job through the cross. I see your friendship with me and my family through the cross. I see my crazy neighbors through the cross. Come on. I have some good neighbors this time. I used to live with some crazy neighbors, but these neighbors let me borrow a volleyball court, a, a literal court, and I mean by setting up the net, the, the border, the flags. It was awesome. They let me borrow it. And a ping pong table, by the way. So I got some good neighbors. But I used to have some crazy ones. But I see all neighbors through the cross. How about my job through the cross? Customers that I don't get along with, the cross. Coming to church, traffic, the cross. All that we do through the cross. So then our feet don't stink, they're beautiful. Amen. The shield of faith. How many know Romans 10, 17? Anybody? Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. So today, if you feel, I want to be honest now. This is a place to be honest. This is a church you can be vulnerable. Do you feel weak in faith? Do you feel like the shield of faith is wearing down? Do you feel emotionally wore out because every battle you're facing is knocking you lower and lower and lower? 
knocking you down further and further. Well, guess what? You can get back your strength. Where are you going to go get it? At the gym? No. You're going to go buy some creatine? You're going to shoot up some steroids, some roids? You get roided up? Where do you get back your strength? By hearing the Word of God. The Word of God will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Word of God. What are the two things you'll stop doing the moment sin gets into your heart? Reading your Bible and praying. What are the things that you'll do when you notice? Uh, what are the two things that you'll notice you've been doing when you've been more freer, more happier than you've ever been? You've been praying and reading your word. And when you pray, you're, reading the, uh, you're, you're praying the scriptures. When I pray to God, I share my heart, yeah. But I'm not going to talk about myself like for five hours because he already knows me. Like, God, you know what I did this morning? I got up. He's like, yeah, I was there. And then after I got up, I put on my pajamas. I was there too. And then, God, I went down and I had Cheerios for breakfast. Yeah, I was. I mean, when I have a conversation with God, it's not going to be based on those trite details. When I wake up, I'm going to start talking to God and say, God, what do you want me to do today? And then I'm going to hear Scripture start coming to my heart. And then I'm going to pray what he gives me. So let's say I have to go uh, and, and pay some bills or something or go to a company and work out a deal for the, maybe the air conditioning. And, and I say, God, what are we going to do today? And I'm looking at my schedule and I'm like, okay, well, I got to go pay some bills. I'll, I'll say, Lord, give me some encouragement. And I'll feel like the Lord will say to me, I'm with you always. You know, I'll bless you. I'll meet all of your needs according to Christ and his riches and all that. And then you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that right back. I'm going to say, God, I know that you're with me and that I'm not alone and that you're going to supply all my needs and that I have all that, that I can ask for. Because what I've just done is I've corresponded to God according to his word. The language of God, everybody, is not English. It's not Spanish. It's the B-I-B-L-E. You want to learn how to talk to God and recognize his voice? He's talking the word. And when you speak the word back to him in prayer, the Bible says your faith increases. You grow in the things of God. Amen? Amen. The helmet of salvation. A lot of these come from other, uh, Paul's other letters. You look at Romans chapter 12. How many know Romans chapter 12 verse 1? Can anybody say that? No one knows it? Come on, be, come on, start from the beginning. Therefore, yes, brothers and sisters, I know he could have done it, but let's read together. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Keep going. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're talking about the rational mind. Can the rational mind deceive you when it's not in Christ? Yes, and that's actually irrationality. Everybody look up at me. Get this. What is the definition of being irrational? You say, well, it's not being rational. You haven't really defined it. What's rationality then? Can I blow your mind right now? Rationality is the mind of God. Think about it. Why does math work? Where does math get its origin from? You say God, but where from God? His arm, his leg? You know, he's a spirit, but Jesus now has a body. But where, where does the math of God come from? It comes from his mind. Where does logic come from? The mind of God. So where do we follow the traces of all human intelligentia, all human intelligence? Where does it all find its origin? Where is the sun from where all these rays come from? Think about it. You're outside. You feel the rays of the sun. We feel intelligence. We notice it. We operate with it. Well, where is the origin? It's the mind of Christ. So what happens when you deceive yourself? You're outside of the mind of Christ.
You're outside of the thoughts of God. That's why the Bible says, set your mind on God, on the things of God, where he is. Put your mind there, above, above. And the literal idea there in Colossians is to see the thoughts of this world, the foolishness of this world as being below, but the things of God as being above. Everybody say, set your mind on the things above. Come on, say, set your mind on the things above. Look at what it says, and that's why I told you before, heart and mind are very similar. So then, uh, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. How many are getting some goodies today? Lastly, the sword of the Spirit. How many of you want to use the sword of the Spirit against the enemy today, against the thoughts today? As Adam comes, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every demon. Is that what it says? Come on, pay attention to the word, please. We take captive every demon. No, we take captive what? Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So right now, as you're not fighting flesh and blood, as the Bible says, you're fighting the enemy Where is the enemy going to literally attack you? In your what? In your thoughts, in your mind. So the helmet of salvation guards your mind. It guards my mind. Think about it, people. Do you think the ones that are in jail right now thought they would do those crazy things? Do you know that every single one of us, I'm not here to mess with you, but think about this. Do you know that every single one of us is one bad thought away from suicide, from murder, from rape, child molestation? All of those start as thoughts. And all those people who have done those wicked things never thought they would be there. You talk to them now. I never thought I would be. I never thought I would do the things I did. I never thought that moment in anger I would have beat my child to death. I never thought out of that moment in anger I would kill my friend. I never thought that 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 party I would do too many drugs. I never thought. I never thought. They never took it to, they never thought through their own thoughts. And so what you've got to do is take every thought captive. Come on, gentlemen, you're one thought away from an affair. Women, you're one thought away from spending too much money on shoes. Come on, just trying to be a little stereotypical here. Forgive me. You're one thought away from cussing. You're one thought away from being bitter. You're one thought away from doubting God's goodness in your life. One thought can make that difference. But also, you're one thought away from your victory. If you're not saved, you're one thought away from just saying, I want Jesus, boom, you're, you're saved. You're one thought away from overcoming the things that come against you. You're one thought away from receiving the promise. I didn't know Nancy was going to come into my life the day she did, but I trusted God with my thoughts and didn't give in to the temptations of bad relationships so that the day she came to my life, I was ready to think about her. I was one thought away from being engaged. I was one thought away from having my first child. Oh, come on, somebody. You're just one thought away. And the difference is now what are you going to place your thoughts on? Make your thoughts obedient to Christ. The, the sword of the Spirit takes down the bad with the with the sword, the the word of God, and then pushes down the enemy. So we don't just tear it down, we destroy it, and then we conquer him. We conquer him in everyday life. Can I hear an amen?
Okay, you guys have been awesome. Let me say these three thing, uh, five things in closing. Number one about spiritual warfare I want you to remember is that every battle is spiritual. Even though we may physically face it, but every battle has its root spiritually. Just like we talked about where does all logic come from? It comes from God. Well, where does your neighbor's attitude come from? It comes from themselves, right? But why do they now do sinful things? Because Adam did sinful things in the garden that the devil tempted them to do with, and their spirit is now deceived. So all spiritual deception, all deception, all, all, all physical acts of sin come from spiritual deception. And so everything you're facing is spiritual. One day we'll get out of these bodies and we'll see how spiritual it really was. I wish I had time to read all these scriptures, but you'll, you'll have time this week. Right? You'll look at them? Come on. Number two, remember every battle is already the Lord's. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, as a king was about ready to face a large army, he was very scared to go fight. God showed up through the prophet and said, tell him the battle already belongs to him as victory because the battle belongs to me. He's getting victory because I'm bringing the victory. Another thing we always have to remember is that temporary defeat is never final. Let's be honest. Since being a Christian, how many of you have lost a spiritual battle? How many of you have said things you shouldn't have said? How many of you have done things you shouldn't have done? How many of you have allowed your feelings to control you? Well, guess what? It's just temporary. Just get back up. The Bible literally says the righteous person may fall seven times, but they get back up. Don't let your setback keep you from the setup that God has for you. God has set you up for victory, but we give up when we get set back. Setbacks are really God's way of setting us up for what he has. He's teaching you not to depend upon yourself, but to be mighty in the Lord. Be mighty in his strength. So yes, you might have tried that relationship you thought you could do good at, and then you failed, and you found yourself in sin. But guess what? That doesn't mean you give up and stop coming to church because you're embarrassed. No, you were set up now to stay single until you meet the right person so you can get married, and then have a family. Your setbacks can become setups for victories. Number four, stand your ground. Some of the best advice I've ever gotten, I want to look at some men here. The best advice I've gotten men, every man look up at me, through middle age, through facing trials, having children, the best advice I've gotten many, many times is just stand your ground. Keep doing what you're doing and watch what God will do. Because so often, come on, listen to me, men, especially men, when we face pressure, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to quit something. Quit, I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to stop hanging out with you. I'm going to quit coming to church. I'm too busy. I'm, you know, the first thing we want to do as men, when we feel the pressure come on us, I, I know women stick with things 10 times better than men. Listen to me. I've watched men, grown men, kick the dirt and walk off the baseball field and quit the game because they were already, you know, they were losing. I've watched men walk out on relationships just because they had a fight. I've never seen more whiners and complainers than I've seen with men. So I'm talking to men in right now. And I've been there. I've whined and complained and quit games too. Listen to me. And I've quit jobs as well. Listen to me. We got to learn to stand our ground. Under the pressure, say, God, I'm not moving. I'm just going to trust you. I will either die of a heart attack or I'm going to get up and fight again. 
My pastor told me that. He said sometimes he would get woken up with so much stress, his heart would be racing. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go for a jog at 3 in the morning because if I'm going to die, I'm going to die fighting this. See, some men, and this is for women obviously too, but men, you need to be able just to stand under that pressure and say, I'm mighty, not in myself, but I'm mighty in God. And I'm going to get up and fight again. I'm going to go to the job again. I'm going to show up at the dinner again with my wife. I will work through this because God can do what you can never do. He can change lives. He's working behind the scene. And I just wonder how many of us have given up before God showed up. You don't know I was about this close of quitting the church when we were three years old because we hadn't broke 50 yet. There wasn't hardly anybody that was saved yet. Somebody even gave a prophetic word in the service. Just like how we have a service right now with words and people speak on behalf of God. Somebody spoke on behalf of God and said, Pastor, don't go. In the middle of service. Could you imagine that? Being in a service like this and all of a sudden you hear a word come out. Pastor Joe, don't leave the church. But you know what God was telling me? You saying, don't go, and you ain't listening to me, dummy, so I'm going to speak to you in the middle of church. Guess what happened after that? Guess what happened? The Bible college opened up here because we were able to start a campus. People received the call of God. Those people became pastors. The church began to grow. We began to experience in those next two years more growth than we had ever seen. But you see, the devil knew there was something coming. He's smart enough to predict the future by understanding the past of God. He's seen God already do it for others. So he knew that I must be coming to a breakthrough. So he was pushing as hard as he could. He's not a dummy. He knows when the harvest is coming. He can read it spiritually like we can look at corn knee high in July. Come on, Indiana boys or country boys. I'm from Indiana. When it's knee high in July, you know harvest is coming in October. It's going good. And he knew my harvest was coming. And he was pushing and pushing and pushing to the point where I said, I'm out of here. And thank God for my wife. And thank God for those people who told me, stand your ground. It may, it may not feel right. You, your emotions may not feel right, but stand your ground. Your breakthrough's coming. Can I hear an amen? We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And last but not least, what did Paul say here? We're going to talk about it next week. Somebody say prayer. So I'm not spending a lot of time on it this week, so come next week. I'm going to teach you how to pray a spiritual warfare. Uh, pray spiritually powerful prayers. Praying the Spirit on all occasions with all prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep on praying for the Lord's people. Remember to always pray. Because I got an illustration to show you how you think you're going to make it through your life when you feel like this every day. Prayer. Prayer. That's how we're supposed to be going through life. We're taking on the attacks. Whap. Knocked out the devil. Get another soul saved. Taking on the attacks. Whap. Win another neighborhood for Jesus. Keep on taking on the attacks. Whap. Send out missionaries for Jesus. Keep on taking out the attacks. Whap. Start a business in the community that changes the world. Come on. And we do it through prayer. This whole participation in battle is one that's won through prayer and communication. Don't think of prayer like as that thing you do for like two minutes when you come to church and I say, now let's pray or something. No, prayer is that daily communication. Do you want to know why I haven't lost my mind after five kids and pastoring almost 20 years? Because I stay in communication with my boss, my heavenly father. Your prayer life will determine how you receive God's victory. As you give your heart to him and hear his heart for you, you will see the victory come about. But the moment you stop praying, the moment you stop reading the word, you will see, 
you'll start feeling those arrows come through your shield. And they'll start penetrating that armor. Start hitting you in the head. And you'll wonder why you all busted and disgusted. It's not, listen to me, it's not that you're a less Christian than somebody else that's doing better than you. It's not like God loves you less. It's literally you stop praying and walking in the faith God has for you. How many can picture themselves going through life like this right now? I may be facing fiery arrows of the enemy, but I'm victorious. Amen. I may be having doubts and fears come against me, but I will be victorious. I may be facing debt. I may be facing neighbors that don't like me. Whatever's coming against me, I know it's spiritual, and I know I'm victorious in Jesus. If that's you, would you stand up? Come on, give it up for Jesus today. Give a shout of praise. Come on, somebody shout. Shout like you got victory. Hallelujah. We love you today, Jesus. Altar workers and band, would you come? It's not just a shout on Sunday. It's living it out on Monday. Amen? How many ready to fight your battles in victory? Young guys right here, it's up to you whether or not you keep that shield of faith up. Where you'll be in 20 years will be based on this picture right here. If you don't keep up that shield of faith 20 years from now, you'll be no different than your friends. But if you keep up your shield of faith, you'll be looking like that, and your friends will be coming to you for help. Are you guys hearing me? How old are you? About 19? 19, how old are you? 13. Is this your younger brother? Awesome. Let me just talk to you for a second. 19 years old. I got saved at 18 years old. I had to make a decision. Would I be defeated by the devil, or would I live in victory? If I was going to live in victory, I had to be ready to fight to keep my victory, right? That was over 20 years ago. As I've been fighting, oftentimes I don't see every little victory. I don't see it. It's, you know, it just becomes like, this is my new life. I don't cuss anymore. And that becomes normal. But you know what? 20 years, my friends have been cussing. 20 years ago, I was smoking. Quit smoking. It seems kind of small to most people. But now 20 years, I look at my friends, they still smoke him. You start to add up these victories, 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 victories. Now you look at my friend. Have you seen the movie 300? You never saw the movie 300? Put up the guy from the 300 so they can see him, the hunchback guy, and get, and get him side by side if you can get him by Leonidas. You, some of y'all know where I'm going. I want to tell you the difference now between my friends and I. I want to show you what my friends look like 20 years because they haven't had none of those victories. Some of them are already divorced. Some of them already have two or three baby mamas. Some of them have already been on Prozac. Some of them have committed suicide. I just had another friend from high school commit suicide. Some of them live great lives on the outside, but their lives are falling apart on the inside. One of my friends is a transgender man, wanted to be a woman. I could keep you here all day, but I want to tell you spiritually what they look like as, Ad, uh, as Andrew gets this up. Because what this young man does today, 20 years later, is going to make a difference, isn't it, Monique? There you go. There we go. Show this picture. That's the difference between my friends and I. Move out the way so he can see it. When you get home, look up the decrepit guy from 300. And I'm not saying they're bowing and worshiping us. But he now knows who his king is. <laughs> they now know who the boss is. Where are you going to be in 20 years from now, soldier? Are you going to be this busted and disgusted person, all messed up in life? Or are you going to be standing as a king? as a prince, as a mighty warrior. And you know what he said to this dude in the movie? You know what he said to this guy? He said, you can't fight with us. You ain't ready. 
But what you can do is you can pick up the dead bodies. He still gave them a chance. I say to my friends all the time, you can't come up here like you come to your friend's restaurant and get a special seat. You get no special privilege here, but you know what you can do? You can come and learn what everybody else has learned. Because I've been putting in work for 20 years. While you all were going to the clubs, while you guys were trying to date for nine years, not being engaged, I started a family. You need to bow down to the God I bow down to and get your life changed. Whew, come on. I want to see a generation of history makers, world changers, and roof breakers. I want to see soldiers. Put up a picture right now of Katy Perry, a recent picture. No, put up this. Katy Perry crying. And I want to speak to Kayla right now. Kayla, come stand a little bit closer to me right here, please. I want to speak to you, not to embarrass you. But you now have a choice because you have a gift of singing. You have the ability to either entertain or transform. You can use your singing gift to entertain people or you can use it to transform people. Because worship is warfare. Thank you. My man's on point. Give it up for Andrew in the back. Come on. Put it full screen so everybody can see it, sir. Thank you. This is your choice. Church girl. You know the story of Katy Perry? Nobody told you. I'm going to tell you. Church girl sang in the worship band. Pastor were parents. Uh, parents were pastors. Had a Christian record released. Look it up. Katy Perry's Christian album. And you know what happened? She wanted the world. She said, the Christian music industry is not for me. Why be a worship leader? Why do this? This brother could be the next Justin Bieber. Come on, somebody. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What's that cool dude who wears the little, uh, the little Mars, not Mars. You could be the next Mars, but the, uh, no, no, this one you're talking about. John Mayer. Right there. He could be the next John Mayer. Yeah, Fidero. That's what I was trying to say. Fidero. Thank you. I don't even know how to pronounce these words. Look at, look at Kayla. Here you go. Watch the video where she's with a counselor breaking down. Come on, I want everybody's attention as I talk to Kayla. Breaking down, tears streaming down her face. And you know what she's saying? I don't want to be Katy Perry, the performer anymore. I want to be Katy Perry, the human, and I don't even know who that is anymore. She says, I've been Katy Perry, the performer. That's why she's crying. Just look it up. And she says, I don't know who I am anymore. Do you think it's worth it? It's not worth it. I want to see Kayla be a soldier for Jesus. And watch this. Watch this. I got something good for you right here. I don't have to point to another person as a superstar to say who you can be like. I can point to your mom and I can say, be like your mom. Praise God. Where is she at? I wish she was here. Oh, you were hiding there. And your shirt says, cool mom. Let's give it up for Desi. Woo! See, this look, look right here. Come a little more front and center, please. Thank you. Your choice, Katy Perry or Desi, your mom. It is going to be your choice because I can tell you right now, you're gifted. You're going to be in one of these two spots. You're going to either use your talents to transform people with the power of God like your mom, and she's had to learn the hard way, like many of us. Or you're going to be finding yourself with $100 million in the bank, broken relationships, a broken mind, not knowing who you are. And so what's our biggest prayer request for Katy Perry? It's to get saved and come back home. Let's just pray for her now. Lord, we lift up Katy Perry to come home. 
We pray for that spiritual battle to be won in her life in Jesus' name. And now we pray for every person in this church. If you're going through a spiritual battle, the first thing is be born again. If you're not right now, come up to the front. We'll pray for you and accept Jesus into your life right now. Come on quickly. Or if you're not right with God, come up to these altars. We'll pray for you. And if you're going through a spiritual battle and you would say, I need help, I need prayer, come up now as we get ready to dismiss. 30 seconds, band, would you play before we dismiss? Come up right now if you need prayer for any of those things. Jesus, 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 we love you today, God. Come on up if you need to get saved or get junk out of your life or fight a battle with some other brother or sister today. They got your back. You're not going through this alone. If you already got the victory, worship with us before we go, please. But if you need to be set free, come on up. You need to be set free. You can win this battle in Jesus' name. The victory is yours because of what he did. Come on. The, the death of Jesus was for our victory. Because when he rose again, it showed that he has all the power of heaven and earth and all the authority. Woo! There's victory for us. Come on, those who need prayer, come up. Otherwise, let's worship. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing. God is with you. As we get ready to dismiss, those of you who are praying, keep praying. I want you to hear me today. Would you believe me if I told you every battle you'll ever face has already been won by Jesus? Would you believe me? Because that's what Jesus meant when he said it's finished. When he died on the cross, literally every one of our battles were, were won. So what does that mean? Every day now we stand in the victory. Make a decision that you will stand in the victory. I will stand in the victory. 
Name the things you're standing for maybe. Just before you go, Lord, I'm standing in the victory for my family, for my sound mind, for my finances, for this nation. Do you know that no matter how bad it gets, every nation will bow its knees to Jesus? Woo! The king is coming. The king is coming. Yes, he is. Lord, we thank you for today. And as we prepare to dismiss, would you send us with the gospel of peace to guide us? May we have the belt of truth holding up our pants. May we have the breastplate of righteousness guarding our heart. The helmet of salvation guarding our mind and our thoughts. The shield of faith extinguishing the arrows of the enemy. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, tearing down the strongholds in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus one more time. Hallelujah for the victory. Slap your neighbor high five and say, you have the victory in Jesus' name. God bless you. We'll see you at Life Groups. Keep praying. Those who are here, feel free to worship. This is what we call the after party. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you again for coming. Woo! The victory. And I'm standing in your victory. The battle has been won And I'm standing in your victory The battle has been won And I'm standing in your victory Jesus the battle has been won And I'm standing in your victory Come on. The battle has been won And I'm standing in your victory Come on, the battle the battle has been won, and I'm standing in your victory. The battle has been won, and I'm standing in your victory.